and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless and miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lay down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Thank you. Thanks so much, Annika, for sharing that. It's not easy to talk about uh, some of the hard experiences of our lives and some of the fears that we might have as well. So thanks, Annika, for sharing that and also the hope that you have uh, and that we can all have in the Lord Jesus Christ. My name's Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're joining us today for uh, the survey series, then welcome. It's great to have you. Uh, We're going to be talking and thinking about the fear of loneliness, but before we do that, let's ask that God would help us to think uh, his thoughts after him and understand what it means uh, to know him in the, in the face of that fear of loneliness. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you that you're such a good and loving God. And uh, Lord, we, we want to stop and thank you for the love and the grace that you've shown Annika uh, through many joys, but also through many hardships. And uh, Lord, thank you that you've always been there for her and your hand uh, has always uh, plucked her out of that uh, deep, deep and dark hole whenever she's fallen into it. And Lord, thank you that that grace is available to all of us as well if we know Jesus. Uh, Lord, we just pray that as we think this morning about what it means uh, to be lonely and uh, what it means not to be lonely, we pray that you would give us understanding uh, and consolation and encouragement and hope. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, every time we do a survey series, and we've been doing it now for a number of years, and we ask people questions like, what are you most afraid of? Every time we do that, you always have a bit of an idea of kind of the, some of the things that, that people might be likely to say. So it's maybe not surprising that people might say that they're afraid of death uh, or that they're afraid of disaster. Uh, but there's always one or two things that strike you and sort of maybe surprise you, or they've certainly surprised me uh, over the years. And this time, I think one of the ones that really surprised me was this one that we're thinking about today, the fear of being alone. Uh, Almost a quarter of people that we asked said that that was what they were afraid of. They were afraid of being alone or being left alone uh, or something like that. It surprised me, and maybe that answer surprises you as well, but really it shouldn't be a surprise. In 2008, the British government took the rather extraordinary step at the time, since then many others have followed them, the British government took the extraordinary step of appointing a government minister for loneliness. Uh, Around the same time, a former Surgeon General of the US described loneliness as an epidemic, A quarter of Australians, roughly six million people, say that they feel lonely. Uh, There's a graph uh, here. Tom, do you want to put that up for us? 
that shows here a lonely, people's sort of reported experience of loneliness uh, per age. Uh, interestingly, the least lonely people, at least in this survey, were the over 65s, with some of the loneliest people actually being younger people. Uh, it's the the uh, first column is people in the age 18 to 25. Uh, it's possible to be lonely even when there maybe are people around. Thanks, Tom. 41% of over 65s in Britain list the TV or a pet as their main source of company. Uh, as if being lonely in and of itself wasn't bad enough, uh, it turns out that loneliness is as bad for your health as diabetes or high blood pressure, with lonely people being 50% more likely to die prematurely than people who aren't lonely. Loneliness has been linked to heart attacks, strokes, cancers, eating disorders, drug abuse, sleep problems, depression, alcoholism and anxiety. Someone has even put an economic cost on it. Someone somewhere sat down and worked out what the cost of loneliness is. It turns out that the cost of loneliness in the Australian economy is $3,125 a year per person or nearly $11,000 for older people. Uh, so if you're lonely, not only should you feel bad because of that, but you should feel bad because of how much you cost the economy. <laughs> what those stats do, though, I think, is resonate deeply with our experience, and that is they resonate with the idea that loneliness is really hard. Uh, it's not just something that lives in our heads, but it's something that has real consequences for our health, for our lives, uh, and for us as a society as well. And the words that Annika read from the Bible highlight that. Uh, we read those words a few weeks ago when we were looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're not going to look in too much detail at those words again this morning, except to recognise that what they do is resonate for many people with the reality of loneliness. Maybe as Annika read those words, you, you felt that. You felt the grief and the sorrow of loneliness. Maybe you felt that because as you come here today, you feel lonely. Uh, you feel that there's no one who knows you or who understands you. Uh, maybe, as we, you heard those words, they brought up all kinds of feelings and emotions that you've experienced in the past. Maybe you have been lonely in the past, and as you hear those things, you think, what if that happens again? As Annika said, what if that happens again? What if I find myself in that deep pit all over again? Uh, maybe you feel lonely today because, as Steve said before, it's Valentine's Day. Everyone's talking about love. Everyone's talking about romance. Everyone's talking about the lifelong partner. And it just reminds you that you're lonely. Or maybe you're married. And as you hear about all the ideals of what married life could be like, you feel sad and discouraged because that's not what your marriage is like. Maybe you're afraid of being left alone in the future. You've got friends now, but you live with the daily fear that maybe they're going to go and they're going to move somewhere else. Uh, maybe 
your spouse will die uh, or one of your family or your friends will die and you'll be left alone. Those people that you rely on, those people that you love and who love you. Loneliness is real. Loneliness is deeply painful. And so I want to think with you today about what the Bible has to say about that. It's a real human condition. It's something that many of us will experience at one point in our lives. What does the Bible have to say about loneliness and its causes and its cures? Well, first of all, I think one of the most helpful things that the Bible says about loneliness is that that profound pain of loneliness that we feel is real, it's genuine. Uh, Being alone, being lonely is not right. Right from the very beginning of the Bible, uh, the Bible says that you and I as human beings were not made to be alone. Uh, In the second chapter of the very first book of the Bible, in Genesis, God tells us about the creation of human beings. Uh, The first chapter that uh, tells us of the Bible tells us that God made the world and everything in it. Uh, And he made human beings to live in that world and to enjoy that world. And we do enjoy that world every day. But in the second chapter of the Bible, the storyline zooms in, if you like, to focus on humanity, human beings. Uh, And it tells us that in making the world, in making human beings within that world, God first made a man, Adam. And at first, Adam was all alone in the world. And God says in chapter 2 of Genesis, he says, it's not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. That's striking that God would say it's not good. Because if you read the first chapter of the Bible, time and again, it says God made it and it was good. God made it and it was good. God made it and it was good. God looked at everything that he made and it was very good. But one thing is not good. One thing is not right. And that is for human beings to be alone. Uh, As if to make that point, uh, that what we need is not just things around us, but human relationships. As if to make that point, God brings all the animals to Adam for him to name. for him to see whether there's a, there's, there's, there's a relationship there that he can have that will, that will satisfy that deep need. We're told in Genesis chapter 2, for Adam no suitable helper was found. And in response to that, God makes Eve. Eve is the perfect complement to Adam uh, and the sol- she is in part the solution to his solitude. But the solution to Adam's uh, solitude, his loneliness is not just a wife, the solution is humanity. From those two human beings would come the beginning of a vast multitude of human beings who live on this planet. God's purpose for us as human beings is human relationship. That truth is reflected uh, in the words we read from Ecclesiastes. There's something just not right about being alone. It's sad. There's no one to share the joys and sorrows of life with. It's tragic. Pity the person who falls and has no one to help them up. It can even be dangerous. One person can't protect themselves, but two, they can. Friendship and companionship can be rich. There's one proverb in the Bible that says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. 
But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And if you've known that experience, if you've known that deep friendship, uh, then you will know the richness of human relationships. You're sure pets can be great. Uh, They can be wonderful companions. But they're not friends who share our lives, who understand us. Uh, and who can share in our joys and our sorrows. There's something wonderful about human relationships. We were made for it. But our need for relationships, the Bible says, runs deeper than that still. We were made for human relationships. We absolutely need that, but we need something more than that as well. In the first chapter of the Bible, uh, we're told that when God made human beings, he made us in his image. He made us to reflect him, that is, in various ways. And one of the important ways that we reflect God is by being relational. So the first chapter of the Bible says this, God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Then it continues, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God has created human beings in his image to reflect something of him, both male and female, to reflect something of him. And his image, we're told in that verse, is an us. It's an our. God doesn't say, let us make mankind in my image, let me make mankind in my image, but let us make God mankind in our image. At the heart of Christianity is this idea that God is one, one God, there's no other gods beside God, and yet at the same time, God exists in three persons. One God, yet three relatable persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In other words, relationship is at the very heart of who God is. Relationship is not something that God needs to add to himself, but it is at the very heart of who he is. It's interesting to compare that idea with some of the other religions of the world uh, and how they think of God. So for the God of modern Judaism or of Islam, relationship is something that is external to God. God cannot have a relationship unless he creates something other than him. Uh, For the many gods of Hinduism, again, relationship is external. They can only relate to each other because there is many gods, not just one. And, of course, they all compete in various different ways. For Buddhism, relationship is just, if you like, a figment of our imagination. But the God that we meet in the Bible, the God who is there, is a God who is relational. Relationship is at the very heart of who he is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are relating perfectly lovingly with each other from all eternity. And as human beings, the Bible says, we are made in that image. We are made to relate. Relationship is at the heart of who we are because we were made in the image of God. It's not something that we can just throw off. It's part of who we are. But as we've seen, and maybe from your experience and maybe as you look around the world, it's obvious really that something is wrong. We are made for relationships, but there seems to be something about the world that almost makes loneliness inevitable. 
We were made for relationships, but loneliness exists. And it's not just loneliness uh, as a result of being alone. As he said before, sometimes we can be lonely among people. I don't know if you've ever seen those artworks where there's uh, someone and they're in that there's a big crowd of people and they out of everyone stands out they're different they're alone they're alone in the crowd life can be like that there's lots of people around uh, but we feel alone uh, even when we're with people it can be hard it can be sad it can be tragic and that's because the issue of loneliness runs deeper than just being with people uh, our sense of loneliness stems from the feeling of isolation. The feeling that nobody knows us. Uh, the feeling that nobody knows what's going on inside of us. The feeling that nobody notices us or cares about us. I even think about it when I go uh, walking around the neighbourhood or when I go to the shops. Uh, we, we all just walk past each other, don't we? Here we are, human beings made for relationship, and we all walk past each other looking at the ground. We're afraid of each other, often. There's something deeply wrong. We were made for relationship, but there's something wrong. There's an isolation that lies at the heart of our everyday life. So if you feel alone or if you feel afraid of being alone you're not crazy you're not an idiot because we were made for relationships but there's something wrong with our world as well so what's gone wrong what's gone wrong with the world the answer to that comes in the third chapter of the bible we're still only in the first book of the bible we're still only three chapters in and that chapter of the Bible says that although we were made for relationships, we were made for relationships with God and with each other, although we were made like that, that has all come crumbling down. It's come crumbling down because as human beings, we have broken a relationship and the relationship that we've broken is our relationship with God. Adam and Eve, those first two human beings, rejected God. They decided... I think we can make our own way in the world according to our own ideas and our own thoughts. They left God behind and as a result they were cut off from that relationship with God. Now they probably thought to themselves, well, that's only one relationship. You know, we're still, still lots of other relationships. We've still got of each other. But that action had ramifications when God created the world, God created us not only to relate to each other, but to relate to him. We're told in those early chapters of the Bible that God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He walked with them. He related with them. They related with him in the world that he'd made. We were made for a relationship, not just with each other, but with God. And our rebellion from God has cut us off from that. Now, it might sound a bit cheesy, but it's true that there is indeed a God-shaped hole in everyone's heart. Uh, I remember Bob Gildoff in an interview saying, you know, he, always, he felt this inevitable sense of 
of loneliness, of, of something that was missing. And he said, and people say to me, Bob, it's a God-shaped hole in your heart. He said, no, it's not. But it is. It is. There's a, there is, in a sense, we were made to relate to God. And so when we lack that, which we do, something is, is missing. Something's not right. We get a sense of that, I think, when even in the best and the most wonderful human relationship that we can ever find, even in the midst of that, we have this unnerving sense that something is still missing. This unnerving sense that something is not quite right. We have it in the fear and the realisation that one day that relationship will end. Now, yesterday on Classic FM, they had a love song dedications. Thankfully, they were just dedicating classical pieces of music. But one of the things, one of the many lines that people uh, would say in dedicating their songs uh, to each other was things like, I look forward to spending the rest of my life with you. And my immediate thought is, but how long will that be? One day it will end. One day we'll be left alone and we're powerless to stop that. We want a relationship that doesn't end and that lasts forever. We have that same sense of, uh, and, 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 um, of that something's wrong in the fear of loneliness itself. Uh, the knowledge that all our relationships at best are fragile. Our friend might move away because he gets a better job. That fear of loneliness and that longing for a deeper relationship is an echo of a deeper longing. A deeper longing that we can't always put our finger on. But which is ultimately a longing for a relationship, not just with another person. But for a relationship of love and understanding with the God who made us and who made this world. We can try and stuff all kinds of things into that God-shaped hole. And they might distract you for a while from the real cause. But nothing but except God himself can fill that hole. We were made to know and love God and to know, be known and be loved by God. Even if you find what seems the most perfect human relationship, it won't fix the problem because the only solution is found in God himself. We were made for relationships. Something's gone wrong. What's gone wrong is we've been separated from God. We were made to relate to him. But that separation from God wreaks havoc on the rest of our lives as well and on every other relationship that we have as well. One of the consequences of our rebellion against God, the Bible says, is chaos in our relationships with each other. So in chapter 3 of the Bible, after human, humanity have rejected God and rebelled against him, this is what God says one of the consequences of that, this is what the fallout from that will be. One of the uh, pieces of fallout, uh, he says to Eve, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. What they're saying is that in, in, instead of a harmonious relationship of self-giving love, there'll be fights for power and control. 
the reason for that upending and destruction of our human relationships is that we've been cut off from God who is the source of relationship. So I think we tend to think of relationships and maintaining relationships and the ability to relate to people as something that is inherent within us. So we can relate to whoever we want in the perfect way. All those, the power to be able to do that lies entirely within my grasp and your grasp. That's how we think about it. But the Bible says it doesn't actually work like that. Because God is a God of relationship, who has relationship bound up in himself, that means that the heart of relationship, the very source of relationship, is found in God himself. And when we cut ourselves off from God... We cut ourselves off from the ability to be able to relate to each other in the right way. It's a bit like a river. You know, as if you have a river that comes down from the mountains, you know, the rain falls in the mountains and it comes down. But if you dam up the river, no water gets through. You might get a, you might get a few little dribbles coming around the edges of the dam, kind of falling over the top sometimes. But more or less, you're cut off from the supply of water. And that's what it's like with God. When we cut ourselves off from God, we cut ourselves off from the heart of relationship. And we can't relate uh, to God and we can't relate to each other. Uh, That means that it's impossible uh, to fix the problem of loneliness without first fixing the problem in relationship, uh, the relationship between God and us. Uh, Yes, we can still relate to people without knowing God. Yes, uh, knowing God will not automatically fix our human relationship. Uh, But trying to patch our loneliness... I'm just going to switch to the other mic, Cameron. Um, Let me just put that down. Uh, Our relationship with God will always be broken uh, and... Uh, patching up our relationship with God won't fix all our other relationships. We can still relate to other people in some ways. But trying to patch our loneliness without coming to know God and to be known by God, without trying to patch our relationships without coming back into a relationship with God is like trying to put a Band-Aid on a gaping flesh wound. Uh, it might hold the skin together, Uh, but it's not going to stop the infection. The wound will never heal. Unless we come back to God, unless we relate to God, uh, we cannot fix our relationships with each other. So the question finally then is, how do we fix our relationship with God? Uh, How do you fix a relationship which you have trampled on? Uh, You and I have ignored God. Uh, We've turned away from him. We've tried to get on with life without him. Uh, And even when we try to patch things up with God, it just makes things worse. I don't know if you've ever been stuck in one of those relationships where things have gone down the toilet and everything you do just seems to make matters worse. You're trying to do your best to patch it up, but actually everything you do is keep putting your foot in the mud. And that's what it's like in our relationship with God. Because everything that we do is stained by hostility, rejection of God, uh, and stained by a desire uh, to keep God out of our lives and to do things our own way. Our only hope then, in terms of patching up our relationship with God, is for God to do something, for God to patch up the relationship. 
It's beyond us. We can't fix it. We need God to do something. It's in that light that these words of Jesus, I think, are so deeply, deeply profound. Jesus comes to his disciples one time uh, at the end of his life, just before he goes to the cross, uh, and he comes to his disciples and he says to them, I don't call you servants. I don't call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. Instead, I've called you friends because everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, you're my friends. The disciples don't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, you're our friend. Jesus, welcome. (laughs) Welcome into our circle. Jesus comes to the disciples and says, you're our friend. Welcome into our life. Welcome into our circle. If I come along to you and I say, well, you know what, Scott Morrison is my friend. He and Scotty and I are just where two peas in a pod. You know, or, or uh, you know, someone famous, Chris Hemsworth or someone like that. We are just great friends. If I come to you and say that, you'll probably think, you've got no idea. You are a complete loser. You've probably met him once at a party uh, or, or something like that, and now you think you're the best friends. It means nothing, does it, if I say that? But if ScoMo comes along and stands here and says, Carl, you're a great friend. That means something. If we say, God, you're my friend, it means nothing. But when God says, Carl, you, whoever it is, you're my friend, that means everything. It means something because it's true. And the only reason that Jesus would ever say that of you or me is not because we've been wonderful people, we've patched up our lives, we've really got the relationship back on track. The only reason that Jesus would ever say that, you're my friend, is because we accept that Jesus is God's saviour and king, the son of God, come to redeem us. That's the only reason, because we accept who he is. If you're afraid of loneliness, and even if you aren't afraid of loneliness, I want to invite you to meet the God who says, invites us to be his friend on no other basis than that we receive his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.